Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hey, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is Wonderful Nights. And I'm your third host, Chris. Welcome to Wonderful Nights. Nighttime record in the studio. It's the latest we've ever done it. It's like 8.06 p.m. Can you even imagine? We flooded the studio with cigarette smoke from a local bowling alley and got all that smooth jazz you love playing. And we're here to take you down to Slumbertown, old dreamy dog. Uh, Just a warning. Hmm? I did fall asleep at about nine last night. Yeah, hell yeah, you did. So if I get a little quiet towards the end of this record. We're going to be getting into what we in the audio business call the danger zone. (laughs) Because Rachel might actually fall asleep because it's wonderful nights. It's going to be a little raunchier than you're used to. Yeah, the, uh, the FCC. Or is it the FTC? Which one does? I think it's the FCC doesn't give a dang what we talk about here. So butts and uh, pubes, whatever. It's wonderful <laughs> nights. It's a late studio record. Smoke. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. Is it all the cigarette smoke from the bowling alley? Oh, so now we're in a bowling alley? No, we brought the hey, we brought this smoke in from a bowling alley. How to create a mood? Yeah, filled up a bunch of balloons, brought them in here, and popped them. It's wonderful nights. I wasted my whole day. You got any small, smoky, nighty wonders that you want to tell me in the pale moonlight? Um, actually, I do. Yeah, uh, the new or the newish of as of May, Hamel Drop. Oh yeah, that's good as heck. The regrets version of Helpless. Yeah, I uh, I slept on this one for like five days. I and I <laughs> regret it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was good one, Chris. Uh, this song is what the kids call the slap. It is the slap. I'm so glad. I think we have to conjure that one up <laughs> on like 20 individual episodes yeah. throughout our oeuvre for sure uh, to make it really, really stick. Um, I wanted to bring for the small wonder segment, Last Man on Earth. Pour oh. one out, rip one up for Last Man on Earth. The news that everybody had six months ago. The news that everyone didn't, <laughs> apparently no, its cancellation came with the uh, the the sort of uh, death oh, yeah. death blow of like but Brooklyn Nine Nine. Although that one got saved. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, the season ended a while ago. We uh, Rachel and I watched every episode. Wildly inconsistent show. There were whole seasons that I could kind of skip if i ever did a rewatch of this one but man when this show fired on all cylinders it was the weirdest fucking almost every episode that we watched early on i said the same thing after it finished which is i can't believe this is a television (laughs) show that got made it is so strange um and later on it also has a lot of heart yeah no you love everybody on that show i think everybody's kind of ridiculous but by the end you're like really invested in them yeah the ones that they didn't like kill off as like a fun joke which is a fucked up thing this show did sometimes but it was really weird and very unique and ended in a cliffhanger which sucks i wish i think i feel like all season finales should be banned from having cliffhanger endings just in case oh that reminds me other other small wonders from this week we have a little correspondence from The Good Place. And Oreo. And Oreo. Oreo. We've tried your salted caramel cookies. They're oh, my gosh. Aw- they are awful. Just kidding. They're the best. I ate a lot of them yesterday. I ate six of them after lunch today. <laughs> Um, so yes, it's been a, it's been a banner week for us. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, another just sort of big update in our lives. 
I have gotten more washing machine repair tips from our fans, (laughs) so much so that I could host my own sort of uh, tool time with Tim, the tool man, Taylor, or Mm -hmm. perhaps this old laundry room, a spinoff series, Um, because I think I know every single way that a washing machine can or would be likely to produce a stink. I know. At this point, it doesn't even seem like we should hire anybody because we've got all the DIY tips. You Exhaustive have. list. Thank you all very, yes. very much. Uh, you go first this week. Ooh, friends. Oh, yeah. It's a great show. I liked <laughs> when Joey did eat the sandwich and when Ross was kind of a little bit too much. That's my favorite episode. I was addressing our listeners. Oh, okay. As if they were friends, which I think they are. They're getting there. Uh, we're returning to the poetry corner. Hey, come on back into the poetry corner. We're going to say some words that rhyme or maybe they won't. That doesn't count as a poem. Change my mind. Whoa. Yeah. So the song that I wrote there for Poetry Corner has a very strong stance about poetry (laughs) in it. It's cool. The words are all over the page in a weird way. Yeah. Okay. Make it freaking rhyme. Uh, The poet I'm bringing this week is Frank O'Hara. Oh. I don't know him. (laughs) All right. No, it's fine. Uh, Frank O'Hara was a New York poet and a member of the New York School, which was a movement in the 50s and 60s. Okay. Uh, it included other artists and poets like Kenneth Koch, John Ashbery, James uh, Schuyler. I actually don't know how to say his last name. Schuyler? Schuyler? It's S-C-H-U-Y-L-E-R. Yeah, Schuyler, like from Hamilton. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the New York School of poetry uh and and artists uh and writers were uh people that drew inspiration from jazz surrealism abstract expressionism painting and contemporary avant-garde art movements those are my favorites so uh the new york school of poets it's it's an interesting bunch because the majority of them are like harvard educated uh white men yeah uh, but the experimental work that they did in their art, I think was transformative kind of for the rest of history. Okay. Uh, and really informed kind of my initial forays into writing poetry. Is that common? Is this, is this like a big jumping off point for uh, potential poets? So here's, here's what I'll say. So the reason I picked Frank O'Hara, he was kind of at the center of this movement. He described his poetry as I do this, I do that poems. Okay. <laughs> Which, for me, made it. I don't know. It the, the kind of the common thread you'll see through a lot of my interests in poets is that they make it accessible. Mm. Uh, and I found the New York School poets very accessible because they would kind of bounce back and forth between these kind of academic, uh, esoteric references, and then this very kind of commonplace everyday occurrences. Sure. And so this idea that you could kind of exist in a place and do your daily routine and then turn that into a poem. I've noticed just based on like the poems that you brought to the show that that's the kind of stuff you're attracted to less the like super floral, Mm -hmm. like the blossoming of your bosom in the springtime moon light. (laughs) <laughs> is like a song sung from a huge bird. That's a good start for a poem. I'm going to write all that down. I liked it because it had bosom. Yay. 
<laughs> I don't know what that word was. I don't know if that that thing I just said was an affirmative or a negative <laughs> response to what you said. That's a fun catch-all. That's poetry, man. Yay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Frank O'Hara did a lot of, uh, as I mentioned, mixing of high and low culture, the sharing of preferences, and the free association of names and ideas. So in a way, it's kind of like the song... That you brought last yeah, week. Yeah, uh, Aguas de Marco. Yeah. Which, by the way, gang, has been stuck in my fucking head so hard for 14 I days. I had gotten it out today, and then I was going through submissions, and I got a lot of emails from people like, yo, this song's the slap. It's called Aguas de Marco. And I was like, oh, there it goes again. <laughs> so here's a poem. Yes. Uh, it's from his book, Lunch Poems, uh, which came out in 1964. It was published by City Lights, which is the same publisher that published Howl by Allen Ginsberg. Okay. Uh, it's called Steps. I'm going to read it. I'm, I look forward to it. How funny you are today, New York, like Ginger Rogers and Swing Time and St. Bridget's steeple leaning a little to the left. Here I have just jumped out of a bed full of V-Days. I got tired of D-Days. And blue you there still accepts me foolish and free. All I want is a room up there and you in it. And even the traffic halt so thick is a way for people to rub up against each other. And when their surgical appliances lock, they stay together for the rest of the day. What a day. I go by to check a slide and I say that painting's not so blue. Where's Lana Turner? She's out eating and Garbo's backstage at the Met. Everyone's taking their coat off so they can show a rib cage to the rib watchers. And the park's full of dancers with their tights and shoes and little bags who are often mistaken for worker-outers at the West Side Y. Why not? The Pittsburgh Pirates shout because they won, and in a sense, we're all winning. We're alive. The apartment was vacated by a gay couple who moved to the country for fun. They moved a day too soon. Even the stabbings are helping the population explosion, though in the wrong country. And all those liars have left the U.N., the Seagram's buildings no longer rivaled in interest. Not that we need liquor. We just like it. And the little box is out on the sidewalk next to the delicatessen so the old man can sit on it and drink beer and get knocked off it by his wife later in the day while the sun is still shining. Oh God, it's wonderful to get out of bed and drink too much coffee and smoke too many cigarettes and love you so much. It's like, slow down a minute, Frank. There's a lot of stuff going on there, <laughs> yes. Frank. It's like you're painting me an image of this gay couple moving out to the country, and then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. you're talking about having sex with traffic? I got a little lost. I get in the tall grass <laughs> there where he was like, I love the traffic so much, I want to rub against it and get inside it sexually. That's um, the uh, free association that I was talking about, which also is the thing that, you know, Ginsburg did. Too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, he, uh, he, the New York school is very much rooted in New York. And a lot of the poems are, you know, very city oriented poems, sure. uh, which I appreciate. I mean, you know, I did that Bob Hickok poem about sure. Michigan. Um, I've always tried to write about the places I've, from and lived and it's really hard to do yeah like, i don't know i mean i guess in a way you're kind of doing that a little bit with your adventure zone arc of like how you take it's, a place that you have an attachment to and turn it into you know something 
accessible it's, is difficult. It is. It's. It, I mean, what I'm doing in Adventure Zone is pretty abstracted out pretty far yeah. away. I wouldn't say it represents my time in Huntington at all. Yeah. But like the trick isn't even like putting pen to paper and trying to find the right words to say. It's trying to find out like, I think first what to say, like how do yeah. you, how do you summarize even not in a poetic form? If you just wanted to write down a freaking numerical list, like I don't know how I would summarize Huntington mm-hmm. and I lived there for 22 years. And that's the Frank O'Hara, like his, his writing style, as you mentioned, where he's just kind of hopping from moment to moment really kind of sets the tone for this kind of New York environment. Yeah. You know, like I read it and I feel really present when he sees like the, the, uh, the dancers, um, with their little bags of shoes. I love the rib watchers line. Yeah. So they can show a rib cage to the rib watchers. Uh, so yeah, so he's, uh, he, unfortunately he died tragically very early. He Uh died at 40, um, well, that's very sad. Yeah, it is very sad. Um, Kenneth Koch, who was also in that school, uh, went on to to write a bunch of works and lived a very long, happy life, uh, right. as did John Ashbery, who just recently died in 2017. Well, no need to brag, guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I think it's it's difficult because it is kind of academic, especially John Ashbery is like very, you know, alienating in some ways but kind of the the drawback especially with frank o'hara and kenneth coke for that matter to this kind of daily experience um was really motivating to me when i moved to chicago right after college i man i wrote so many like new york school kind of poems about like walking down the street and walking by the chicken hut and you know, <laughs> oh, the like, chicken hut I don't know if it still exists, but it used to be on Belmont and Broadway. Broadway, yeah. I've been there before. You've been to the Chicken Hut. I've been to the Chicken Hut. It's tasty as hell. I wrote a whole poem about walking by the Chicken Hut. I want to read this poem. I also want to read you my first thing. Okay. My first thing. Here's the deal, gang. I love sports where you hit balls with other objects. I just love them. I love the idea of them. Baseball, baseball. Tennis, golf, mm-hmm. whatever. I find the whole idea of them very deeply therapeutic and enjoyable. The only downside is that I am exquisitely bad at more or less all of them. You say that, but you have very good coordination. I have good coordination except when a ball's coming at me above a speed of even 20 miles an hour. <laughs> Anything above that and uh, the fight or flight instinct kicks in and the bat just won't do its job. Um, I'm, I, I'm also a terrible driver at golf. I just, I've gone golfing twice and my friends got very, very, uh, exasperated at me just because of how many old shankers I put out into the (laughs) trees. Um, tennis is also just way too much running. However, there are two sports that are an exception to this rule, which I classify as, and this is the official subject of this segment, gentle ball hitting games. (sighs) And okay. that is mini golf and croquet. I thought you were going to say badminton. I guess that's not really a ball. Badminton is like tennis with less running, but still more than I'm used to. <laughs> um, I'll start with mini golf, which is a game you play by hitting a small ball with a fairly small club that requires maybe the least amount of athletic activity that any sport could possibly... You are good at mini-golf. I'm pretty good at mini-golf. It doesn't require athleticism, which puts it right in my wheelhouse. 
Um, I I might attach too much fondness to the idea of mini golf because I did not grow up around a mini golf course. That's not true. There was a, a Bible themed petting zoo near my hometown called Noah's Ark, which I imagine there are approximately thirteen hundred of that was exact there two establishment of every animal. No. No, there were a f- maybe one to a few of a few animals. Okay. Um, uh, but I didn't go there. That I went there, I think, on one church trip, and I climbed up in the big boat, and I ate a taco Lunchable, and I got super sick. <laughs> so I, then I got very angry at, you know, the, the Lord. No, that's not true. I was a good Christian child. Why am I talking I don't about know this? what's happening? Um, I didn't go to a course that often because we didn't live around one. So it was always something that we did on family vacation. So it still seems so exotic oh, to me. That's fine. Um, it helps that a lot of mini golf courses are also part of these big family fun centers with like arcades and go-kart tracks and shit like, which like, don't get me started on go-karts. A good go-kart course I feel like maybe it's tw- like twee to say like, oh, go-karting so fun. The cars are so small. A good one where the cars go fast as hell and you can just like initial D fucking fast and furious drift around the, the hairpin turns in those bad boys. I could do a whole segment on that. Anyway, <laughs> um, I would play mini golf right now though and pretty much – well, no, because it's like 103 degrees outside. But at most points where it's temperate, I enjoy me some mini golf. I don't think I'm like awesome at the game. I think I'm – slightly above average, which is something. Um, what I love though, is that if you're not in like an avid golfer who actually goes to golf courses and putts and tries to get under par with very, very good putts, you don't really know how to be good at putting a golf ball. You really don't. You kind of have to feel it out. Every time you play the first hole of mini golf, you're basically learning the sport all over again. Well, it's like. kind of it. The way I feel when I do mini golf is kind of similar to pool in that like the implement I use to hit the ball puts me very far away from the ball. <laughs> huh? And so then somehow I have to get my brain down this long stick to like get the ball where I want it to go. And that's never worked for me. Yeah, it's rough. Um, but as a result, every time it goes well, I just get ecstatic because it's know. like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, I also really like the holes where the path splits off or offers you like multiple trajectories because then you get some strategy. Like that's my shit. Yeah. Uh, that I do think I'm good at is like trying to figure out how to bank it off what thing. Like when they have little pieces of wood over the corners and you're like, oh, I can hit that and bank it at a 90 degree angle and then at least get it close to the hole. Um, or like there's a ramp that goes over the water trap. Is there a way I can use that? Is it worth it? Um, I really, really like that about golf. Um, and also golf courses, and this is going to be very telling. I think of the, I don't know, nature of my childhood. Uh, they always seemed so opulent to me, like so well manicured and so well designed and fancy. I feel like I'm remembering a lot of the ones I played at in, you know, Tennessee and in North Carolina. I remember them smelling excellent, which may not be true. Um, but it was like kind of like going to Disney World for me in a like small every way. Every mini golf course I've been to is a little bit run down. Uh, maybe I, I don't know in like a tourism town I feel like they're usually There's a little like bit grooves better where you like start the course and then all the painted creatures like the paint is chipping I guess we only went to nice places oh, yeah. uh, in like <laughs> Asheville North Carolina that had like which is probably the mini golf capital of the world I don't know if you ever got out there but there was one year we went out there man 
we played so much mini golf go-karts. We went to laser tag and like did all this shit. And it was the best trip ever. Um, we have a place here in Austin called Peter Pan mini golf, which is also BYOB, which is a whole nother thing for grown up Griffin. That is real good. Cause it's hot constantly in Texas, washing it down with a nice cold brewski. And a nice hole in one. Always packed, man. It is so crowded all the time. We need like thirteen more mini golf courses here in Austin. If you live here and you're an uh, entrepreneur, get at it now. The second game, croquet. Mini golf's not always convenient. Sometimes you can't get out there. Croquet, you set that shit up in your backyard. You own a croquet course, technically. I uh, I discovered this game when I was on a lake trip with some friends in Chicago who I actually wasn't all that familiar with. I was kind of just invited along for, for funsies. Uh, and uh, I had a really, really great time. And they all were playing croquet and, uh, you know, having, having some beers and going swimming. And it was such a really, really great time. It's got the kind of same, like, feeling it out vibe as mini golf. Like every time you hit it, you're like, I hope this goes good. Um, and, but it's got like a lot more strategy. You can, I feel like I've talked about this on some show before, but you can get extra shots if you like run your ball into an opponent's ball. Uh, so you're trying to like chart out the best path through the course, which makes it different every time you play, even though the course is relatively the same. Um, you can also send your opponent's balls and like spend one of your bonus shots, like knocking one of your opponents out of the way, which one time our friend Eric did to me while we were playing on a huge field in Zilker Park, trying to yeah. set like the Guinness World Record for largest croquet course. And he sent me out into the parking lot, which I was miffed about, but I recognized the strategy in neutralizing his greatest threat. Um, but I, I think I'm actually pretty good at croquet, unlike mini golf. Uh, even if I wasn't, I would still love playing it because it's just a, I like hitting a ball with another object and mm-hmm. these are the only two sports where i can do it without you know running or the ball's not going to jump up and hurt you uh which is an, a constant constant fear constant fear of mine um gentle ball hitting games get at them <laughs> do you want to steal me away yes and i will do so with a little thing that goes like oh boy this. Yay! Okay, so just to set this up, <laughs> we have windscreens in front of our microphones. They are these big black sort of things, these mesh <laughs> things, so I can't see anything below. I can just, it's kind of creeping me out now that I'm thinking about it for the first time, <laughs> is that I'm getting just sort of Rachel's eyes and then this big black circle of mesh. You do kind of look like my wife turned into Bane. And so I don't know how you made that sound. I think you were trying to do like a clock. Like, yeah, his famous line was, bring me the back of the movie. <laughs> Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? <laughs> it's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. <laughs> Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, there's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? <laughs> Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. 
with I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Stiles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain this message is for rob and lauren it is from bernadette Dear Lauren and Rob, I just want to thank both of you for being my best friends. You both mean so much to me. Lauren, thank you so much for getting us into all the McElroy content. Rob, thank you for buying us tickets to see our boys live in Brooklyn. I love you both with all of my heart, and I'm hoping you're surprised by this Jumbotron. That's a very sweet thing to do for a couple friends. Also, do you think Bernadette has ever written a parody song? of uh david bowie's suffragette city uh where she drops her own name in there instead of the word suffragette you know or it's like i'm down to bernadette city i like that a lot i love that that would also work for antoinette if you're listening i'm gonna antoinette city that's not a sign that's a pretty good bowie <laughs> <laughs> she's all right i'm david bowie i really appreciate how much confidence you have that's a really good David Bowie. There's there's no way that you could debate that that's a bad David Bowie. Time takes a cigarette. <laughs> I put something in your mouth. I'm David Bowie. Just a David Bowie. I'm a cigarette. <laughs> um, this message is for the wonderful hosts and more. And it is from Emerson. Hello, after a year of nonstop animating, I finished my grad film today. I wanted to thank all the amazing people who made it possible. My friends, my boyfriend, my uni family, and you guys. Wonderful is a blessing and gives me the good vibes I need to make it through the day. Thank you. Love, Emerson. That's a very sweet little message. That is very sweet. Thank you, Emerson. I'm glad that we could help. And Congratulations. Yeah, congratu- congratulations. Are you the first to ever do that? I think, yeah. I think, yeah. Now do it as David Bowie would do it. Congratulations. Perfect. From me, uh, the star man. 
How's it going, everyone? I'm Oliver Wang. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. We have a brand new show on the Maximum Fun Network that we'd love to share with you. It's called Heat Rocks. Morgan, we should probably explain what a heat rock is. It is a banger, a fire track, true fire. Right. Dope album. Each episode, we will bring on a special guest to join us to talk about one of their heat rocks. It might be a musician. A writer. Maybe a scholar. I mean, I would have been happy to just talk to you about your heat rocks, but this is a different show. Yeah. I think people might enjoy hearing maybe the guests instead. To do that, you'll have to go to MaximumFun.org. So if you want to talk about hot music, you should check us out. Heat Rocks. Hey, what's your uh, numero dos there, partner? It's your David Bowie impression. (laughs) All right. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) But next week. Next week. For sure. Once I've had time to really polish it. Look forward to that, Rachel. (laughs) This is a threat. My next thing is sriracha. Sriracha. Yeah. This spicy paste really gets to me. (laughs) Uh, So I did some research on sriracha because it is one of my fave condiments, specifically on noodles. Yeah. uh, On vegetables. Sure. Meat. Vegetables is my friend to have these on. Eggs is another good Mm -hmm. one. Cake. What's the other foods you haven't listed? I didn't say ice cream, and I didn't say ice cream intentionally. Because gross. Yeah, it'd be too much for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So sriracha, most of you will probably know, uh, is composed of chili peppers, vinegar, sugar, salt, and garlic. Uh, And it was developed specifically to provide Vietnamese immigrants with a hot sauce worthy of their pho soup. Yes, I love this in pho. Uh, Especially bad pho which holy shit there is so much of in austin i I did not realize that when i started eating pho a few years ago i would become kind of a snob about it but i've had maybe two good pho places in austin and maybe a dozen super super bad ones it's very true you drop some sriracha in there though what's up now you can't taste the bad flavors it's it's such it's such a good addition to anything that is remotely bland sure like vegetables again, broccoli. Uh, sriracha was developed in 1980 by David Tran. Uh, it is now located in the Hui Fong Foods uh, factory in Rosemead, California. Uh, the f- factory used to be owned by Whammo, the maker of frisbees and slip and slides. <laughs> okay, but it wasn't a. They weren't <laughs> cranking out sriracha, right? They weren't no. like, here's our fun discs. And also our burning paste. No, but I like the idea that they kept like some of the slip and slides there. Sure, covered them like, in this. Use oh, Jesus as Christ. Part of the factory. You would be donezo on a sriracha <laughs> slip and slide. No thanks. Didn't the factory famously like kind of ruin the property values of all surrounding? Like, didn't I remember yeah. reading something a long time ago, not that long ago, about how it just kind of yeah, overpowered the, the whole smell. neighborhood? Yeah. yeah. But that's not what I'm talking about this week. <laughs> no, it's good for it's good for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the country, except for that one small outlier of their neighbors. Uh, so when he uh, when David Tran first started making sriracha, they were in glass bottles, uh, filled by the spoonful, and personally delivered all over Chinatown in a blue Chevy van. Look, oh, nice it little, started from the bottom. Yeah, nice little startup. Uh, so. They also make other types of sauce, with that, which I have never Whoa. had. Uh, they all start with a, a chili mash, but some of them have more garlic uh, or more sugar. Are these are these different types of sriracha? Or are they in different sort of families altogether? Uh, no, the different 
different families. Interesting. Um, but hot sauce, you know, focused. Sure. Because of the chilies. Uh, the company has never advertised, uh, and its sales have still increased by almost 20% each year. That's fucking – that's the only company on earth that that's true. That's crazy. Think about it. Have you ever seen advertisements for it? I haven't. No, I've just gone out to eat at like virtually any Asian restaurant. Uh, the rooster is on the bottle because uh, David Tran was born in the Chinese year of the rooster. Interesting. Uh, the article I read, so I looked at articles from LA Times and Huffington Post. There was an article that says you'll soon see a gallon-sized bottle of sriracha. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if I could. I mean, if the Huff Post says it, if, if Ariana's swearing by it, then it's got to be true. I just don't <laughs> know that. I don't think I could work through that before I died, either of old age or my insides melted like a Terminator because of how much sriracha well, I did I try don't to know. eat. Part of what I enjoy is the squeeze. Yeah, I don't know that I could squeeze a gallon. You could, but you're gonna get your your bottle's gonna write a sriracha, sriracha check that your mouth can't really cash. A <laughs> hundred million pounds of fresh chilies uh, were processed last year over the course of the harvest season, which lasts only ten weeks and provides for the entirety of the company's year long sriracha sales. Uh, but they use fresh chilies, which is uh, unusual for hot sauce. Hot yeah. sauce usually uses like dry, dry yeah, ass exactly. chilies. Yeah. Uh, and so their factory is only an hour away from Underwood Family Farms, which has been the company's only chili supplier for the past 20 years. They're cranking out 100 million pounds of chilies every. Hey, I guess so. Pretty good farm, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I liked I liked the story of that. Like, it feels very personal, like the fact that there's this man that used to sell it out of his van. Yeah, and, and now the it's like man. on every table in every restaurant. Yeah. It's a um, cool story. And it's also like unlike any other condiment, I would say. Yeah, I certainly can't think of any other condiment. That's like, I mean, there's probably a ton of, you know, East, East Asian uh, spicy pastes out there. I will there. say, yeah, then no, that's true. I will say between sriracha and Cholula. Yeah. Those are probably my two fave hot sauces. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, only ones in the game, in my opinion. Ooh, um, gosh, we are going to get a lot of comments about that. I'm just saying I used <laughs> to eat a lot of Tabasco, and then like the first time I had Cholula, I was like, oh, okay. I know, but there, there are so many hot sauces out there, and you were going to hear from... Oh, don't get me wrong. Like I enjoy like a wild, <laughs> a wild and spicy hot sauce, but if I'm looking for my freaking off-court buddies, it's going to be Cholula and Sriracha. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. I don't need to get our tea. I'm not, it's, it's not like I'm drinking the same bottle of wine every time I drink wine. It's just, these are my, these are my spicy friends and I know what they bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes a spicy friend comes at you with like a bad chemical burn. I ate while I was on tour, our last tour, Justin had the spicy Skittles. Holy shit. Wait, what? They make the Skittles and spicy though. What kind of spicy? I can only describe it as like, hot? like uh, more uh, like a acid rain chemical burn in my mouth. Oh my gosh! Griffin. You take you. T- I ate one. It was not like I was like challenging myself. Justin was like, "Do you want to eat the spicy skittle?" And I was like, "The skittle's my favorite." So this seems like sort of a, an abomination in God's eyes. And he said, "No, try it. They're good." And so I ate one, and I feel like I just ate like I took a big, big. If I had metal teeth and I chomped into a big thing of mace, it's just a chemical burn in the mouth. And then like a little bit of that strawberry sweet. No, thank you. <laughs> anyway, my second thing is 
the Electronic Entertainment Expo, the E3, which I have gone to, I believe, nine times. Uh, This year would have been my 10th. Oh my gosh, Griffin. I got fired from Polygon for stealing all the cups in the office. The cups? Yeah, all the cups. I thought it would be a fun uh, April Fool's Day prank. I brought them home, and then I looked at them on the shelves, and I said, oh shoot, they look good there. And so I didn't take them back, and then it became... Less of a prank and more of I stole all the cups. The, the flaw in this goof yeah. here is that you say that you brought them home. And I also live in the home mm. with you. Oh, they're not in the kitchen. Okay. Yeah, they're not in the kitchen. They're in the secret kitchen I have in the attic. Okay. <laughs> Continue. Ah, shit. Continue. No, I told you about the secret attic in the kitchen. You know, sometimes the air conditioner comes on and you'll smell like biscuits or eggs and you're oh, like, gosh, huh? You're making secret biscuits? I'm making secret attic biscuits. So oh, anyway, E3, if you don't know about it, um, is, is a show I've covered in some way, either there or remotely since 2008. Um, and I'm feeling a bit, a little bit blue that I'm not going to be going to it this year. Here, here's, Here's the truth. On paper, this is like the big video game sort of expo of the year. There's lots of video game conventions across uh, the world, and I've gone to a lot of them. I was lucky is enough it, to go to Tokyo Game Show and Gamescom in Cologne, Germany, and a bunch of PAXs. Is E3 and stuff. always in Los Angeles? Always. One year it was in Santa Monica when they were beefing with the LACC, but pretty much all the time it's in Los Angeles. Um, it's the big show, basically, where all the big, big game developers and publishers come together in the Los Angeles convention center and after you know weeks or months of building up hype for their big announcements they finally reveal everything that's coming so on paper it is kind of a crass event right like they spend outrageous amounts of money promoting these games they're working on that'll be out over the next year or so they have these press conferences that are big and ostentatious uh with usually without uh, a ton of substance they are sales pitches that are like doctored to the point of like unbelievability um, and so, yes, on paper, all that pretty, pretty bad. Um, and also, also the, the nine years that I covered this show without fail, it was always a, just a staggering amount of work it, which I wasn't used to as a, a games industry professional. Especially uh, when you were doing like news team stuff. The news team stuff was wild. When I started out at joystick, um, I was doing a half dozen interviews every day. I was checking out over a dozen games and, uh, every day or so. And there was an expectation that I would have all that written up before I went to bed that night. Yeah. Like immediately because everybody else is doing the same thing. Yeah. There was a, a desire to be first, to be fast. Uh, and I, I don't get me wrong. Like I love, that feeling of being like side by side in the war room with like all the other writers and just like cranking shit out we famously like pretty much never went to parties which a lot of people would go to e3 just a hobnob we couldn't do that because we were writing until literally i was like falling asleep at my computer in the Um, war room did you guys ever like help each other out and somebody would be like what color were mario's overalls and then somebody'd be like i'm pretty sure they were green and then somebody else would be like no they were yellow this time You've just described Lar- Lar- <laughs> Lario and Luigi? Hold on. Whoa. No, you've Wario, been out of the game too I long. guess so. <laughs> it's been like three weeks and I've already forgotten the good brothers' names. Um, no, it was fun. It was like, it was genuinely like grit your teeth and like, let's just like be first and just like crush it. And so it wasn't just exhausting ourselves for exhaustion's sake. Like it was really enjoyable. Um, but like the years where I was doing the podcast also at the same time, it did get a little bit too much, especially the 
the year where we did Max Fun Con, which is a very fun oh, weekend. Yeah, and you went but straight a, into you it. You know, a little bit exhausting. You're hiking all around, and we do do a show there, and then literally drove down from the mountain to E3 to cover that for the next week. That was that was pretty pretty rough. All that said. I imagine it will continue to be this way, and it has been this way for a long time for me. It is one of the most like exciting weeks of the year for me because I, I really love video games, and I always have. Um, there is this culture of secrecy that game like creators try to maintain. Most game creators, I, and I should mention here that I'm speaking almost exclusively about like the big AAA games. Yeah. Uh, I do not mean to exclude like the indie games, which I think have more of a presence at like other shows like PAX and uh, and I, there's tons and tons of of indie game conventions. They do get like some uh, placement in in like especially the press conferences, but this is mostly about AAA games. I just didn't want to make it sound like that was all I really cared about. Um, but the, the creators of these big games try to build these hype around their announcements before revealing them in one big push to try to like own the day for like maximum exposure. And I think that's kind of bad for the industry as a whole because like you don't get to see the people making the games. There's a disconnect between yeah. the people making the games and the people playing the games because the publishers try to like maintain the message by not letting you really see the, the, you know, the guy behind the curtain. Um, but. The one good thing about that is there's one week a year where everything just goes fucking haywire and like a billion things get announced. I I don't know. I I just really, really love games and I love playing new games and like getting to experience them and try to figure out like what they were thinking when they made them and uh, get to dive really deep into them. And so having a week where it's like getting an idea of what my following year of entertaining myself and my favorite hobby is going to look like you don't really get that for movies or tv or really anything else and so i think it is kind of a cool little maybe like the auto what's the big auto show that they do there's i think there's an auto show equivalent um supercar supercar yeah palooza supercar palooza's i think is what it's called and they do that one in the ocean um, if you've never been to E3 and you're not in the industry, do not go. It is not made really for enthusiasts because you usually will. I've watched people wait, uh, rush the like line for the new Mario game that came out last year uh, to wait in line at that booth. They get there and are 300th in line and they spend their whole day waiting in line oh. to play the new Mario game, which is like, if that's your jam, I do not mean to shame you, but uh, it seems like a lot of work to is play the Mario. Is that time? For how long you get to play those games? And oh, yeah, yeah. The, in line. Usually the games are programmed to end. Like the demo oh. will just like shut off after 10 minutes. Okay. Um, so that is kind of rough. There are other shows like PAX is much better suited for fans. But even if you don't go, you can still watch the big press conferences to like see the announcements in real time. Uh, sometimes every few years ago, there'll also be like a new console cycle starting. Like, oh, we had PlayStation 3. Guess what we got now? PlayStation 4? Yeah, it's a, it's a PlayStation 4. <laughs> uh, and things get really, really wild then because there's like a big land grab from all the publishers and all the developers trying to, you know, be the killer killer app on this new thing that appears. And so things just like get whipped up into a frenzy. I don't think this is going to be one of those years, but it's still, you know, really exciting when that happens. Uh, I think in 1998, when Sega was still a big player, right? They still had like the Genesis had just come out and they were like, well, you want to see what we got next? It's going to blow your fucking mind. Do you know about this? I don't think so. They announced their next console, which was the Sega Saturn. 
which you may not have heard of because it failed miserably, but they announced it at their E3 press conference. And then they said, and it's available right now. <laughs> and it was just available. You just go fucking buy one, which nobody had ever done before. And nobody did again because they didn't have time to market it at all. And like, it didn't That's sell. Weird. It was a colossal mistake. Um, but that was one of the more buck wild sort of examples of this. Um, I don't know. I just, I, like I said, like I like knowing what my year of this hobby is going to look like. And I am very, you, you may know this about me. Like I am very much a person who likes having things to look forward to. Um, and E3 is like pound for pound, like one of the densest sort of examples of, of that, that I can think of. You mentioned you were going to watch some of it online since you weren't going this year. How do you do that? Uh, all of the, like on Twitch and YouTube, oh, usually okay. every, yeah. So like Nintendo only does Nintendo directs now, so they don't have a press conference by the way. Rumors are going around about that new Animal Crossing Switch. You know I'm going to sort of go dark. You're going to be jealous of that alligator again. Rachel's going to get furious about this fucking digital alligator again. Um, uh, so, yeah. I'm going to watch pretty much all of those, I think. Well, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for Yoshi. <laughs> Do you want to hear some submissions from our friends at home? Yes. Okay. Here's one from Clementine who says, My wonderful thing lately has been the little pieces of cookie dough that go on top of Froyo or an ice cream. They're so convenient to eat. It's so delicious. Like little bits of happiness. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Cookie dough ice cream? Well, okay, yeah. Obviously, I know about cookie dough ice cream. I didn't know that you could go to get Froyo and just scoop a bunch of cookie dough oh, pieces. Sure. Maybe not at the average uh, yogurt place, but if you went to, say, like the country's best yogurt. Oh, yeah? Do you have some of that? We had that, and we had cheesecake bites, both of which you could kind of warm up in your hand, and then you could throw as hard as possible at the wall, <laughs> and it would stick to it, which was a fun game we played in the back room a lot, which is probably why I don't usually indulge myself in the stickier <laughs> toppings. <laughs> Uh, Sabrina says, I don't use vending machines often, but there's such fun little adventures that end in a snack. My favorite vending machines are the ones dotting every corner of Japan, especially the one I used that literally poured a drink in a cup for me. Uh, it was like a giant rectangular outdoor Keurig. Um, I do love myself a vending machine. I'll tell you where I love them. The airport coming back home. I land. I want a little snack roll. I don't want to wait for 30 minutes to get home from the airport. Vending machine. Boop. Beep bop. Skittles. They have a really interesting vending machine at Costco. It is an entire machine full of bottled water, yet they still let you pick your letter and number when you're buying it. So it was a strange experience for me to look and say, uh, I guess I'll get C7. <laughs> I'm sorry. Rachel's allergies are really bad right now or something is going on in that corner of the room. I don't mean I'm not laughing about that. I'm laughing about the fact that you look like you're crying a little bit while you were talking about <laughs> There's this vending machine. Uh, here is you're okay, right? Yeah, I'm okay. Good. Uh, Owen says, hey, we have different colored chip clips in our house, and I absolutely love finding the matching color clips to the main color of the bag so that they're coordinated. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Owen. That's that's delightful. That's very good practice. Uh, it seems like a little bit of work, but uh, you got to risk it for the biscuit, as I see. And as we all know, in the UK, they refer to chips as biscuits. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and cookies as crisps, which is how you get the name Cookie Crisps. I'm just a wealth Ooh. of knowledge. Um, now, now, could you say that as David Bowie? <laughs> let me get. Hey, let me get up. I lost it. It's okay. No, it's not. I, I pushed lost you. It. I pushed you too you hard. You pushed me too far. 
Do we have any other submissions? No. Okay. Nobody else was grateful for anything. <laughs> That's not true. Hey, if people have suggestions, where would they email them? Uh, wonderfulpodcast at gmail.com. Fill that thing up with uh, whatever you want. Uh, submissions, keep them tight. One, two sentences. That's going to be great. Um, and we sure do appreciate you. And we appreciate you, Bowen and Augustus, for the use of our theme song, Money Won't Pay. You can find a link to that in the episode description. And uh, thanks to Max Fun for having us on the network. They got so many shows. It's all great. Uh, like, Can I Pet Your Dog? Yeah. That's a real upbeat, fun trip into pet land with two wonderful lady hosts yeah and i then, would recommend it and then there's no stop it which is the sort of um they react to every episode they do like a recap of every episode <laughs> of can i pet your dog and it's just like you've petted him like 30 times already his fur's starting to come off if so. you want to listen to other McElroy podcasts, you can find them at McElroyShows.com. that is true and I, let's just wrap it right up huh? okay because I I need to start I need to start editing it right now so I can remember how good the Bowie was or what it sounded like. It was like you never asked me to do my David Bowie. Oh, I'm yeah, that's a good closer. Maybe we should maybe because this would be the second time that we've done this. Uh, you ending your sort of uh, episode with uh, you doing an impression of a British celebrity is something that I could get really <laughs> into as sort of a standardized thing. So go ahead, uh, Starman, Ziggy Ziggy Man, uh, David Bowie, go. I'm going to do a quote from Labyrinth. Oh, great. Forget about the baby. Shit. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, love it. Oh, good oh, stuff. Man, every time. Uh, well, I hope that you're enjoying this podcast you're listening to as much as we are pretending to. But anyway, why not listen to another podcast too? It's called The Flop House. And on our podcast, uh, we have recently watched a movie, often a bad movie. And we review it on our podcast, but mainly talk about other stuff and, I don't know, hang out. It's all about hanging out, feeling you're, like you're being with your best friends. Who are your best friends? Us three. Dan McCoy, <laughs> Emmy Award-winning writer for The Daily Show, Stuart Wellington, owner of the best bar in Brooklyn, Hinterlands, and Elliot Kalin, former Emmy-winning head writer for The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, former head writer of Mystery Science Theater 3000, The Return, uh, so many things. Author of the upcoming children's book, All right, Dog. that's enough. The Elliot's credits just go on and on. Yeah, but if you like the idea of listening to three funny guys talk about bad movies, then why not come over and listen to The Flop House? It's uh, available at MaximumFun.org or wherever fine podcasts are found. So get out of here.